Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Ideas Worth Hearing, brought to you by TEDx Youth at Victoria Park. My name is Joshua George. My guest today is Jennifer Bond. Jen is a newly registered nurse with a keen passion for mental health and upstream health promotion. She strives to be an advocate for marginalized communities and believes that the greatest change always starts with yourself. Jen's ecstatic to share why addressing implicit bias with compassion is so necessary when we live in such an intercultural and diverse world. Jen, how you doing? Great. Uh, thanks for having me, Joshua, and the rest of the TEDx youth team. Uh, it always feels like such an honor and privilege just to be part of something that's really, honestly, I think so amazing. So thank you. I'm happy to have you. I'm happy to listen. I'm really excited. Excuse me, excited. I was going to say stoked and excited. I'm really excited. You can be stoked and excited. <laughs> <laughs> to have you here. So we're going to jump right into a conversation about implicit bias, specifically your relationship and understanding of implicit bias, given um, your field, which is nursing and how that can be articulated manifest in various ways right so let's first have a conversation about implicit bias do you want to tell me a little bit about that yeah so i would say in my own terms i would say implicit bias is um, a type of social programming that we get throughout our lives from a number of resources whether that's um, our parents or caregivers or uh, school authorities or the media that we're shown whether that's movies music uh, books, TV shows, um, advertisements, um, and government, I think is also huge. Like it's, it's, it's quite complex, I would definitely say. Um, but essentially what implicit bias does is that it, it, it colors or it, it alters how we see the world through our own lenses because, um, while we might be, for example, like us experience, we're he sitting here experiencing the, some, I guess we could say the same thing. I'm, I have quotation marks because this is a podcast. They can't see that. Um, we're experiencing <laughs> this. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, put it same thing in quotation marks because while me and Josh are both here, or Joshua are both here in this interview, um, I'm coming in with my own implicit biases and uh, perspectives as well as Joshua. So... So, uh, do you have any good examples of uh, an explicit bias, or excuse me, an implicit bias that come to mind uh, that could really demonstrate what we're talking yeah. about? Yeah, you know what? I said I wasn't going to do this riddle, but you know what? I think it's such a bad <laughs> example that I'm going to talk about it. Um, okay. So, a few months ago, I went to an implicit bias workshop and was super eager to learn more because I had been introduced to the term of implicit bias and knew that, you know, I had my own as well as does everybody. And unfortunately, when we're not aware of them, it can hurt those who we are caring for um, or care for. And so going in, I was really excited to learn and they started us, started us off with a riddle. And so the riddle is that there's a man and his son in a car, and the car crashes. Uh, the dad dies on scene, and the son is taken to uh, the nearest hospital. And in the hospital room, the surgeon looks at the son and says, I can't operate on this, uh, on this boy, he's my child. And how is this scenario possible? So this actually is a great device to discover implicit bias because what it does is it kind of engineers your brain to produce an answer uh, that depends on those hidden biases you have. Now, traditionally speaking, this is a great riddle uh, because um, the traditional understanding of 
male roles is one of the, the you know the doctor is likely to be a male role right so your implicit bias for a lot of people would say that that's impossible right but of course the answer to the riddle is that the doctor could be the mom could be uh, and something that you pointed out the last time we talked could have been maybe the other father mm-hmm. yeah right. yeah because okay. uh, it's 2020 and it's crazy things can you know anything can be anybody <laughs> exactly and so yeah so the answer to the riddle is that there's two very likely or very possible choices and one is that the surgeon is a woman and so she can't operate on her son or the other example is that the surgeon is um the other uh, another father so they're we're looking at a homosexual couple and yeah. i remember uh i remember when i first when i heard the uh, answers to the riddle i was just so profoundly stumped um because i was like how did i how did i not think of those like i identify as a feminist and um a, as a strong uh, advocate and ally for the lgbtq2s plus my apologies, <laughs> um, um, population, and I wasn't able to come up with either of those uh, answers. In fact, my best answer, <laughs> uh, my best answer was that the the father that was in the son in the car that had died on scene was actually a Catholic priest. <laughs> That's how it how the scenario is possible, and I think that really it really <laughs> talks about how important or how. How much our our environments influence influence us, whether we realize it or not? Because I was raised Catholic, um, and my mom would probably still consider myself Catholic, even though I don't. Um, <laughs> but it it says like that was my best answer. I couldn't I couldn't think about the woman being a surgeon or being a like a um um being a gay couple, and I'm just ah, oh, it just it really stumped me in it, but it also really humbled me and grounded me that it's like, yes, I do see myself as progressive, but obviously I have a lot more work to do still well, and when we talk about work that is to be done, especially in the field of equality, which is ultimately what we're all pursuing, right, we can really observe in the last hundred years a very strong push to get rid of what I call the field of isms. Right, the overt isms. In the last hundred years, uh, we as a culture have worked to undermine the sexisms, the racisms, you know, the, all the other ones that are that are sneaky and hidden everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. But what we're getting at is that there's this implicit bias, this the hidden isms, the undercover isms, <laughs> right? Yeah. That we've all kind of internalized, and and those things can really be articulated in a variety of ways. And when you're a healthcare professional or working in and becoming a healthcare professional like yourself. Um, those undercover isms can be, I think, very dangerous. What do you think? I would definitely agree, and I've definitely had some really personal examples, as well as whether that was like in in the hospital or sometimes also just reading literature. Um, but just to I guess to take a step back before I take a few steps forward, um, like yeah, I think we're we're making huge progress in terms of the ism, so sexism. Um, the sexisms, the racism, racism. The... <laughs> ageism, <laughs> the ageism, ageism is a sneaky one. It that is. one I, is a surprising, like, it is actually crazy to me how many people are totally comfortable being ageist 
in our society they don't even recognize it as an issue but they'll be like that guy is old oh he's useless or that guy's young oh he's dumb and that's that's a perfect example mm-hmm. of prejudice or prejudice in in form of uh somebody's unchosen characteristics right exactly and i think just how much we take it for granted i don't know if that's perhaps the right term but i guess and, like, in the sense that I think a lot of people would say, it's like, yes, I believe in equality, but then goes ahead and says, like, what for your example, like, oh, that person's so old, like, do they really have a purpose? Or just looking at someone who's younger and being like, they're so dumb and naive. Um, and I guess not mm. really questioning those because they're so ingrained just into our social norms or everyday life. Um, I guess, so, my point that I was trying to make there is that while I think we have made huge steps in terms of sexism and ageism and racism... Um, I think our natural reactions to these harder topics and concepts is to lean away from them because if we lean away, then we can get away from them. But I guess in my personal experience, I think leaning into them is, is more effective, um, because we are, we are the, essentially the problem, but we are also the solution. Um, and I guess... (laughs) (laughs) So that's me trying to get my need to anytime I need to get schoolwork done I gotta write an essay on both the problem and the solution <laughs> like uh, I did this to myself but that's why I can get myself out of this <laughs> um, but yeah so I guess so you were saying like how this comes into play into nursing and um, so in my experience and in my knowledge nurses are some of the most caring people that I've ever met, um, truly. And I think um, whether they were called to the profession because they felt um, that's where they were best needed or somewhere throughout their um, education, that's where they gained those skills of caring and compassionate. Um, But it's interesting because while such a caring group, they're still not... we're still not. I guess it's interesting talking about nurses being like, I am a nurse. Uh, um, nurses aren't exempt from having implicit biases. I, no one is. And so it's still really important to address I, the, those implicit biases. So we, we aren't committing un, unintentional, but I think essentially discrimination, um, especially against, uh, or, against people that we're trying to care for. And there's quite a few cases, unfortunately, um, but realistically about healthcare providers, nurses, doctors, um, treating um, clients with discrimination, whether that was racism or um, classism or um, other factors as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and especially, you know, it's one thing when, when grandpa says something kind of awkward at the table right at the dinner table but it's a whole other thing when your doctor one prime example of implicit bias manifesting in a harmful way when your doctor uh under prescribes painkillers because they've made some assumption about you due to your socioeconomic class or race or you know whether what other reason they can come up with and uh, it's such a difficult thing to deal with right mm-hmm. such a difficult thing yeah. to deal with because it's no longer the overt streams that we're that we're trying to to uproot or the uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's hidden yeah just to i guess elaborate on that um i've i've read evidence and then I've, this is something i've also seen in practice but i was once working on a unit where there was a man who had sickle cell disease and what that is is that um, essentially your red blood cells will become misshapen and will 
um, prevent blood flow to certain areas in your body. And so when you have that restricted blood flow, blood flow for, um, for a body part, it's quite painful. Uh, they say excruciatingly painful. And so, um, high level narcotics are usually used to treat sickle cell disease, but interesting enough, um, they, I've seen some research that says that for black people who have sickle cell disease, when they, when they ask for those, pers for those medications for narcotics, uh, opioids, they're treated as if they're drug seeking, um, just to get drugs, um, compared to, um, like a white person who has the exact same disease, um, and potentially symptoms. And... I, it's something I also saw in practice, um, where I was caring for, or working with a client one day and he had sickle cell disease, uh, was requesting pain medication. And so I didn't really think much of it, but later I was just reading over the chart later cause I had some free time and I did notice that somebody had labeled actually had labeled him as drug seeking and that he was just trying to get medications and to be on top of that. Um, and it put me in a very weird situation being a student nurse in the sense that I was like, oh, like I, I caught this, like, and I caught this sense of discrimination and I'm like, um, no, like he just, he needs the drugs. But then another part of me questioned and I was like, but if someone else is a healthcare provider and they say this, it was, I, I wanted to trust them as well. But a part of me, was also like, it was a very, it was a very sticky situation. I think a lot of um, when discrimination happens, it, it often is. It's very gray. I don't think it's black as white as we sometimes think it is. Well, and see, that's, that's the most difficult thing about trying to uproot this issue, especially as a young uh, professional, you know, and newly, newly introduced to the field. How are you in your position supposed to, to grapple with this issue? How are you supposed to confront your superior and say, hey, this is exactly what I've read about. This seems to me like a situation where you should have done something else and you can't even explain to me why you didn't do that other thing. That's because, you know, it's, it's implicit. And especially because we're talking about an issue that's so hard to categorize, you know, there's a reason it's called implicit, it's hidden, it's undercover. So, you know, nobody's ever gonna walk up and say, no, I didn't do that because he was, you know, I didn't give him the right meds because he was, you know, black or yeah. this or that or the other thing, but it's that hidden mechanism where you have to be extra conscious. What I'm wondering then is, is how are you as a young professional, how do you address this issue? Like, have you got any ideas about how to confront implicit bias? Yeah, there's definitely quite a few number of ways. And I think for each and every person, that's a little slightly different. And so I, I think it's really finding things that work for you and also recognizing that you, when you try something, it won't work for you. And that's totally okay as long as you keep trying uh, different avenues and different paths. Um, looking at myself personally, I am quite extroverted. So I love learning through people. And so it's it's been interesting, but something that's super easy for me is to make friends who don't look and live, uh, speak like me from diverse backgrounds. Because I, I think it's very interesting if sometimes if we take a hard look at our, our friend groups, they, they're a lot like us. Um, whether that's in terms, sometimes, sometimes not. <laughs> um, but I guess sometimes in terms of, you know, socioeconomic class, um, in terms of race, in terms of age. Um, so trying to branch outside of that, like, 
it's my goal, I guess, to, like, have, like, friends of just, like, of all ages, like, I would love to, like, just hang out with some 40-year-olds and 60-year-olds and be like, what's up, what's life, um, and, but also some, like, really young children, I think, would be just very eye-opening, but also, of course, from different, like, uh, ethnic backgrounds, I think, makes a huge difference because what is a norm for them might not necessarily be a norm for me, and so, what happens is I, when I hang out with people who have different backgrounds, I become more conscious of what those might be. So I think like diversifying friend groups uh, can be really beneficial. Another one is there's, uh, I believe it's called Project Implicit and it's designed by, by Harvard University. And what it is is that you go through, um, they have a number of different tests to test uh, different specific implicits whether it's it's amazing because I when I went on the site I was like I didn't even know that Im- that bias could exist um, so for example there's one for weight um, then, yeah then there's another one for race there's age um, sexuality among like a, quite a few others and so they take about I think about 10 to 15 minutes to complete uh, depending how fast or slow you are of a reader slash answerer um, but I, it, it give, it'll give you more of, um, I guess, a clear understanding of where you're at. Because, like, to go back to implicit bias, I think it, it is quite, it's so internal and ingrained that it's, we can have an assumption that it's like, oh, I am quite progressed when it comes to this, but then doing the test can kind of reconstruct your reality, which is needed and necessary, I believe. Um, and then I think a third one, last one, because groups of three, um, but, um, I think definitely compassion, um, towards yourself when you uncover those implicit biases, when things make you uncomfortable, um, doing your best to recognize that you feel uncomfortable and asking why, but not in a sense that's accusatory, in the sense that it's like, oh, you're a terror, like, I guess, for example, when I've come across some of my implicit biases, I've, I've been like, wow, Jen, you're a terrible human being, you suck, (laughs) um, and I don't think that's the case, but that was my first reaction, um, but how I guess when I've applied compassion to those moments, I've, I've shifted away from, uh, accusing myself of being a bad person to more of being like, why do you think these biases exist? Um, what, what's, what environments, what influences, and just reshaping that can really, I think, be really beneficial. So that is Jennifer Baum's three-step process to undermine the secret isms. Uh, the first, diversify. Diversity is key, you know, from economics to, to culinary arts, diversity is the secret, it's the spice of life. Um, the second step is to check out Project Implicit from Harvard so you can find out that you're still a piece of trash regardless of all the hard work you've done because you have those implicit biases. We all do, but the project is to root them out. And the set, third step is to be, what's, what would you say, compassionate? Compassionate. Be compassionate. To be compassionate. Well, it's no secret that compassion is going to be the thing that saves the universe, isn't it? No, it really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just give you like a little because thank you for summarizing that because I was like wow am I droning on or what and then just summarizing them I was like thank you so much Joshua <laughs> no it's what it, it really is fascinating the way you come uh, through all three steps like that and the way that you arrive at compassion 
as as the final the final step. And to me, honestly, that's it seems more like a circle than a than a, like a linear progression because you know obviously that compassion is what's going to get you into those diverse groups, right? And give you that ability to overcome those stereotypes, those prejudices that you've heard and internalized, right? And I guess when we're, oh sorry. <laughs> no, no, jump in. What do you, what do you want? What do you I want? guess what I wanted to say is like, those were kind of three off the top of my head. But that being said, I think those are some that I find really fitting towards me. And so for somebody else, um, for whoever's listening, maybe your starting point looks at, um, if you really like watching YouTube videos, there's a bunch if you just uh, Google implicit bias that will um, give you some really fun animations, or at least I've personally enjoyed. Um, but then again, maybe if you're someone who likes going out and being engaged in different groups and communities. I know um, uh, diversity and inclusion groups and committees are up and rising and if not I think there's always the option to start one at your school or at your workplace and I think a lot of people uh, would be quite interested in that and joining you with that for some other steps and I guess also what I wanted to say is like you said it's like it's not really linear and, and that wasn't my intention at all I think it's quite messy and it's quite here and there everywhere but I think the idea is that you're just always moving forward but I guess the important thing to note is that if you consider yourself to be to be a progressive uh, on the path to making a better world as an individual Right. The first thing you have to ask is, how am I going to do that? How is that going to work for me? And that's just what you're saying. So for yourself, Jen, you've you've looked into this um, into this methodology that involves a certain amount of introspection, a bit of research, right, and then really finding, ascertaining, rooting out um, those biases that you might have hidden. So I wonder, do you ever look at the way that others are conducting themselves, and do you think? you know ooh, 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 ta-ta <laughs> like is there you ever you know like have you ever seen someone fail miserably of what you're trying to do um for sure i think those instances definitely happen and um in all honesty i'm at a point where i'm trying to work up to a point where i'm capable and competent of addressing that um, so whether that's, I've, I love conferences. So I remember going to this one conference and this was actually something that we talked about is how do we, um, how do we address, um, when we catch other people in the act of discrimination and what they suggested really helps to have a pre-written script. Um, so what this looks like is, oh, I noticed your action. Uh, it made me feel maybe this way because I think, or I think this was wrong because this, um, and that was just an idea of a script. That being said, I think I would like, if I, uh, emphasis on me trying to get to that point, but I think I would like to practice and probably build off some other resources of how to address that. Um, so I think it's, it's really comes down to an understanding of where you're at in terms of your learning and your progress. And if you feel comfortable, um, or maybe even slightly uncomfortable, because I don't think maybe anybody will be a hundred percent comfortable doing that. But if just, if you're just slightly uncomfortable, go ahead and, and try your best to address that in the ways that you know how likely you're honestly going to do it wrong. I'm probably going to do it wrong. Um, but that's, that's the point is that after you reflect on the situation and then you put that 
into how you might approach a very similar situation in the future and you get better with each try um but that being said i i want to say this is that i think sometimes when we like learn about implicit bias and um how that links to discrimination it's obviously very easy um it's easier to see in other people um but also a lot harder to address um whereas i think when we look inside ourselves it's a lot harder to see um but we have a lot more control about how we address that and what the outcomes look like okay all right so we got a couple tips here from jennifer for next time grandpa says something a little bit awkward at the dinner table you might try having a a prepared speech mm-hmm. or <laughs> Yeah. Or B, to recognize that, uh, or to consider how you might personally approach those biases, considering you may, you know, actually have them. Now, it's certainly easier to recognize the biases in other people, right? That's the point of them being implicit, because if you have them, it's hard to tell that you have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a lot of this has to do with, with introspection. Now, but I wonder, do you think there's like a big, profound reason that we, we have to do this? Like, why, Jennifer, should we bother going after these things? Great question, Joshua. And you know what? I have a TED Talk that just comes to mind. <laughs> Love TED Talks. So excited that I have one. <laughs> I will. Um, but it's one about how diversity is so important. Um, but not, I guess, not just diversity, but diversity and inclusion. So having people that represent a multitude of different communities and populations and coming together and having their voices heard and recognized and implemented into a lot of projects, it actually has shown to benefit um, the economy, productivity, uh, fulfillment. Like it's, it's just science. <laughs> That's a terrible explanation. Um, but um, so I guess something that I can't help but see um, is in terms of government sometimes, uh, how I, I think diversity can sometimes be lacking there in representation or even inclusion of the diverse voices that are already there. Um, but for example, for the government is that they're a portion of people that make decisions for a much larger group of people. Um, and so when the group that's making decision, the decisions, um, doesn't have sometimes the personal experience and the lived, um, experiences of the people that they're trying to serve, sometimes they get it wrong. Um, so when people, um, from diverse backgrounds are included in those conversations and have that representation. Um, that being said, I think everybody's experiences are uniquely different, but there are, I guess, some genuine um, similarities across some factors. And so they're more likely to hit or be more correct than wrong. You know, so actually when you say it like that, when you say it like that, it sounds to me like as members and as citizens of, of the multicultural country, on the planet there are there are two countries on the planet that that formally consider themselves multicultural but canada i'm going to say is the the legit one (laughs) it sounds to me then the project of rooting implicit bias out really ought to be thought of in a way that uh, is is a civic responsibility for like you said how can we as canadians consider ourselves to be multicultural consider ourselves to be a nation um, that's brought together and strengthened by its diversity 
as long as we allow ourselves to be controlled by these undercover isms. Right? Mm-hmm. And, a, and a great example of that is just like you said, with our, our representation in government right now, it's, it's less, way, way less half than half women, which is, first of all, where are all the women, right? Mm-hmm. And secondly, where's, uh, where's our minority representation in government? You know, and, and there's a lot to understand about the, the geographical distribution of uh, ethnicity in Canada, a lot of, a lot of monolithic um, subcultures in Canada, but, uh, but it's, it's important for exactly the reason you said. How are government officials who are largely a monolithic group, you know, representing, you know, uh, you know just traditional-ish white Canadians, how are they going to recognize implicit bias when there's nobody amongst them to point it out. Yeah. So not only could it be our civic duty, it could be perhaps the, the duty of our, our representatives to, to address this type of issue. What do you think about that? Um, I did like, yeah, I liked where you went there. I guess to give you, I guess, a, a more personal example is mm-hmm. one of my uh, past clinical placements. Um, because of all the work I've been doing in terms of diversity and inclusion and implicit bias, I couldn't help but recognize that the staff that I was working among, the nursing staff, was um, of a majority of white Caucasian women. And the problem with this is that our patients, our clients, uh, weren't just white Caucasian women. Um, And actually there was um, an African-American woman who came in and um, was faced discrimination when she was being cared for as a client and I just remember reading multiple chartings um, from other nurses who said that she was bossy and um, aggressive and offensive and that's their truth um, through their lenses but for me from my perspective if I put my shoes into her and to the black woman's um, perspective and I couldn't imagine how scary it would have been um, first of all to be in a hospital where you're as a client you're in quite a position of vulnerability but then also to look at the staff that's caring for you and not see one person who looks like you among the nursing staff and maybe who can like recognize where your culture um, what your culture um, implies and what experiences you've gone through and so I just felt that while the nurses were trying their best, they weren't, their care that they were providing wasn't as effective or as efficient as it could have been because they were seeing it through um, their implicit biases. So we know that there are some significant issues caused by this. And, and obviously, you know, your personal experience is, is that in the healthcare industry, but this is a rampant issue affecting every facet of society. And um, in rooting this, this these biases, these unconscious biases out is really a, a large project, significant project, important for the next step, especially for the Canadian citizenry and obviously anyone, anyone, anywhere. But on that topic, we're, uh, we're running a little bit out of time. I remember we said something last time we spoke about the best way to change the world. And it's reminiscent of some things we heard, but do you remember what we, what we said? I'm guessing it was something along the line of along along the lines of um, the greatest change starts with you. The greatest change starts with you. Who said that again? J Cole. J Cole, right on, right on. 
Right on. J. Cole, Gandhi said something similar. There's a good, a lot of people, and the point is, be the change. Be, yeah, be the change you be want to change. see, because I think, I think sometimes we don't recognize how much influence we can have, and that in itself, we lose the power of ourselves. And so, recognizing what power, what influence you have, and harnessing that to the best of your abilities can do wonders, first of all, but then I think also it's a he- it's a great way to lead by example, which can also have tremendous effects. So that would be my encouragement. Be the change, be the example, know your power. Thank you so much for your, for your words of wisdom, Jennifer Bond. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you. Joshua, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun and yeah. <laughs> Right on, right on.